This is Power Lunch, exclusively on Lightning Power Play via the iHeartRadio app. Right circle, Haskin at right point, Klingberg shoots, blocked, it's out of the zone, it's in the neutral zone, eight seconds left, Barkley Goodrow after it, time ticks down, the Lightning win the Stanley Cup, they have reached the top of the mountain, they are the Stanley Cup champs. Wow. All I can say is, wow, what a job by these guys. It's still early, no doubt about that, but you look right now at the Discover Central Division, Tampa Bay's played eight games. They're in first place. Now, granted, they're tied with the Columbus Blue Jackets, but Columbus has played four more games. Tampa Bay, 13 points through eight games. Let me bring in my partner, Dave Mishkin. I am Greg Linnelli. It is Power Lunch. On Lighting Power Play, Steve Ersnick producing. Bobby the Chief Taylor will be coming up in about 15 minutes to discuss. Dave, I think it's a very important point. It's one where I think we need to discuss just a little bit. It kind of goes in line with what we have talked about on this show a number of times. Getting off to a good start during a 56-game schedule, probably more imperative to do that now than in an 82-game schedule. And I, I'm even going to take it a step further. You've heard me say a number of times, I don't know if they're going to be able to get 56 games in. And I know they gave themselves a little buffer to make that happen towards the end of the regular season. But it almost magnifies getting off to a really good start at the beginning of the year. Because I just don't know how many games these teams are going to get in. We are starting to see multiple outbreaks now. Uh, with various teams. We'll get into the NHL making four changes to in-arena COVID protocols that was announced yesterday. And while I appreciate the effort from the league to try and get this to a 56-game schedule, but more importantly, keeping everybody safe, I think also, too, for each individual team, every game you win is almost as more meaningful than... If you were just playing a regular 56-game schedule and you knew you were going to get all those games in, if you understand what I'm saying. So I'm wondering if you're looking at everything right now and, and the way the league is going and making every game you play count as much as possible to get as many points as possible because I do think there is a lot of uncertainty with how this schedule is going to play out and whether or not teams will be able to not only get 56 games in, Dave, but maybe struggle to even get 50 in. <laughs> you know what I, I love about doing this show with you, Greg? I, I think that we are in simpatico on a lot of things. I think we, we see the game similarly, and I enjoy talking hockey with you. And, and I think a lot of times we kind of reach the same conclusion. Sure. But we do have a little yin-yang sometimes. We do. And, and what I love about the yin-yang is, if you remember last summer, before the restart, you were very much the glass more than half full about, I really think they could have fans for the Stanley Cup final. Remember I was. You were, you were saying that. You were very optimistic about it, and I was the exact opposite. I, you were. I felt, I feel that that in that circumstance, I had the, the realistic hat on, and you had the optimistic hat on, and it turned out they, they didn't have fans in the Stanley Cup final. But it's interesting that you have gone from that perspective and you have, like, thrown out your optimism hat when it comes to this. <laughs> well, I haven't said you, cancel the season. You but... stole my you stole my realism <laughs> hat or my realistic hat. And you're like, I don't even think they can get 50 games in. Uh, I'm going to put on my optimistic hat. And, and I look, I don't have a crystal ball as i often say i don't know what is going to happen but i believe that the league will do as much as it possibly can to get these 56 games in for each and every team so at the end of the regular season whenever that happens in whatever form or shape it occurs you and i can circle back to this conversation and we'll see if every team got 56 in most teams got 56 in only a handful of teams got 56 in, and they go to a points percentage. I guess we'll have to see how it plays out. But the the league has been nimble, I think, in rescheduling some of these games. I mean, as it, as it relates to the Lightning, and the Lightning had three games 
postponed. Like they worked those three games in to this point, and it really hasn't disrupted the schedule that much. And I saw that, is it St. Louis and Arizona? They rescheduled two games for St. Louis and Arizona, moving them up in the schedule because both of those teams do not have any protocol issues, not so much that they would be canceling games, but other teams do have those issues like Colorado, Minnesota, Vegas had it. So, and again, without looking at the schedule, I think both Arizona and St. Louis were due to play teams that that can't play right now. Reminded me a little bit of baseball last summer. They they shifted around some series. So these two teams are okay, and we have this window, and their opponents right now are not able to play. So let's let's play some games between these two teams and and kind of figure out what we're going to do with that gap later in the season to to fill in the open spaces. You know what I'm saying? Sure. So I give the league high marks on on trying to get this done. Ultimately, I don't have an answer for you. I don't know if we're going to get to 56. We can talk about the protocols that that the league put in, the additional protocols the league put in. Uh, but I, I do find it interesting that that you have gone from somebody who was optimistic that maybe the league could get fans in the building, and maybe you felt that way because of the the tightness of the bubble and and how that was going, as opposed to what you're seeing at the start of this year, where teams are having issues. Yeah, and you wonder if if the league can can actually complete the full schedule as it was laid out before they drop the puck. Well, the funny thing is, too, with fans in the stands, I think the more the vaccines get rolled out, um, and I think we just talk about the survival of the league, I think you will eventually see that with most teams this year. I, I think I was ahead of the curve last year during the bubble, and I think, to your point, probably that's what I was thinking, is it was such a controlled environment that yeah. I, I thought maybe – even if it was a couple of thousand fans for the Stanley Cup Finals, they may try and, and figure that out. They didn't, and that's fine. But what I'm saying is not necessarily, you know, doubt that they're going to finish this season. I'm just saying the way the way they're going about canceling and rescheduling games, I think it just comes down, for me, to a matter of math. And they talk about protecting players, Dave, with the vaccinations, or not the vaccinations, but protecting them from... COVID-19 and the protocols that they have in place, I also think you have to be a little bit practical with what's the schedule going to look like for these players playing, in essence, every other day. And I I think that's a fair point when we start looking at what can they endure. Because remember, their training camp wasn't as intense as it typically is. They didn't really have preseason. They didn't have any preseason games. And so from a physical standpoint, I just wonder if it's possible. Now, that being said... I do think they're going to finish it. It's just a matter of, is it going to be 56? Is it going to be 50? And at what point do you look at it and say, you know, for the safety of our players, not only preventing them hopefully from getting COVID-19, but also too, what is the schedule going to look like for them? I think it's going to be pretty intense. And you just wonder if that's something that they're going to have to monitor and make the right call moving forward. Because as we know, the players are their biggest investment or biggest asset I should say. Now, the league did come out the other day or yesterday, Dave, and, and made four changes to in-arena COVID protocols. And Elliot Freeman had a, a good article regarding this on Sportsnet. And look, you have the Minnesota Wild, as you alluded to, were shut down until February 9th. And I think the league is trying to find ways to minimize these outbreaks. Gary Bettman said uh, in an article, he said, quote, with about 20% of our season played, we are mindful of the fact that we might be seeing a more aggressive transmission of the virus and will continue to make adjustments to our protocols as we consult on a daily basis with and adhere to the recommendations of our medical advisors, end quote. I actually have some thoughts on that, but just to give people an idea of, of what they're doing, um... The glass has been removed or will be removed from behind the playing benches as per the new NHO protocols. And they're also looking to deploy portable air cleaners behind the benches. Players and coaches no longer permitted to arrive at the arena more than one hour and 45 minutes before the puck drops. There is an exception for players who are receiving treatments. And then teams are being asked to utilize or create additional locker room space for themselves and their opponents. And then, of course, I think the big one, too, is adding adding a second 
daily test, a rapid test, which we have talked about before games uh, on this show. I think they they just announced. I believe the the accuracy of the rapid test. Didn't they just come out? They I mean, a, yeah. a company came out with a rapid test that is uh, far improved in terms of the accuracy of the yeah. result, and that's a. If it's not a game changer, it's certainly a very significant development. I think so. I, I, you know, with all the things they're doing, Dave, I, I made this point the other day with Eric. I was on his podcast, the podcast that we too, and it's interesting. My, my simple take is I don't want to say this is for show, what the NHL is doing. I, I believe this is in the best interest of the players. They're trying to do everything they can to make them safe. But as I pointed out to Eric, if we're just being honest with it, if you don't want this to happen, you probably then don't have games because let's face it, you can do everything correctly for 20 hours in a day. But during those three to four hours where you're at the arena and you're physically playing, which requires contact and you're not social distancing and you're breathing on people, to me that negates anything you've done up to that point, in my opinion. Now, you, you could differ with that. So in, in many ways, I understand what the league's trying to do, but it, it, it almost, it's, it's, it's almost like last year, everybody behind the bench wasn't wearing a mask, but the training staff was. I mean, it, just, it didn't make a, a ton of sense. And again, the biggest thing is these players, for, for three hours a night are going at each other, they're body checking, they're breathing on each other, and they're doing everything that you're probably not supposed to be doing in terms of the guidelines. Understandably so, because they're trying to get the season in. I just think it's it's not going to do much, but I understand why they're doing it. That's that's my my take on the protocols being put in place outside of the testing, which I think can be, to your point, a little bit of a game changer. Yeah, and I'm trying to remember where I read this. It might have been Elliot who had this in here. What the NFL discovered was being outside really mitigated the likelihood of spreading the virus. Even when players and in football, they're the linemen are, I mean, they're getting right up with one another every play. Yep. I mean, I don't need to, to say that. Yeah, they have a helmet on, but you know, they can certainly breathe and sweat on each sure. other and I think what the league found was being outside negated a lot of the dangers I'm paraphrasing here so please do not quote me on this no, point taken but, point taken but I think that what the NHL then has to contend with and the NBA for that matter is they're not outside so what is the difference the difference is airflow outside airflow makes a difference and i think that that informs some of these changes at least the two relating to removing the glass behind the bench to improve the flow of air and and i think it's safe to say that for the buildings that are that are taking fans in accepting fans and having fans in seats they're not going to be sitting by the bench so that's just going to be an open area. And the other is the ventilation system on the bench. So the fact that, that those were two of the four, I think, tells you a lot about the information the league is getting about how to mitigate spread. And one of the biggest ways is airflow. So there's that. And I think the, the one you mentioned, more distancing in the locker rooms, you know, you can only have so much airflow in a locker room, right? <laughs> And the other part is limiting the amount of time the players are together to an hour 45. That one is is cutting off maybe some time. They don't want players getting there three hours early. Um, but I think to your point, you know, you could be with somebody who's infected for 10 minutes if you're if well, you're in a in a space, you could catch the virus. So I guess they're just they're just playing the odds there that, and that I the get amount that. of time the players are together, it, uh, you know, is limited. But but it's the air that was what I took out of the the two with with the glass and the ventilation system. It was about the airflow. Yeah, the airflow I think is nice, and maybe that makes a difference. But the two things we have been told from day one during this pandemic is to wear a mask and socially distance. 
And those are two things that just aren't happening when these guys play. <laughs> I mean, let's be factual right. about it. Yeah. I yeah. mean, that's, you got to play a game. You can't play a game. With you a can't social on. distance unless, you know, you're right. a team that's not very physical, a.k.a. the Detroit Red Wings. So maybe they should be a team that probably doesn't have too much of the outbreak. I'm, I'm joking. Don't don't come <laughs> at me. Don't come at me. Um, but you're not going to wear a mask either. And yeah. uh, unless they come up with some design where they have a mask that makes it easier to breathe, it's just not going to happen. So, again, it seems like those are the two biggest obstacles they would have to overcome. And if you're not going to touch those two things while players play, and the only way you're going to do that is to shut down the season, which they're not going to do. I think the other things make minimal impact. But I, un- uh, I guess what I'm saying we have to get to Chief. I understand why they're doing it, Dave. They're trying to be proactive without really making without really shutting down the season which is what they don't want to do Correct. and I understand that and I appreciate that I think we all just have to be honest with ourselves with what they're doing and we maybe talk about you know how the coaches and players are going to handle the routine being thrown off a bit more because Dave as we know hockey players probably are more creatures of habit than any athlete out there and if that routine is tinkered even more that could be an interesting storyline to follow moving forward but we'll talk about that with chief as well coming up in our next segment he is dave michigan i am greg Linelli, steve versick producing hit us up on twitter at bolts radio what do you make of the protocols being put in place right now and do you believe that a 56 game schedule is still attainable right now we'll talk about that with chief when we return as we get you set for lightning and red wings tonight live from amelie arena on lightning power play This is Power Lunch, only on Lightning Power Play on the iHeartRadio app. A lively first segment there. I'm Greg Linelli, along with Dave Mishkin, Steve Erson producing. Bobby the Chief Taylor is going to be joining us right now, and we're getting you set for Lightning and Red Wings. We talked about the league's uh, protocols for changes to in-arena COVID protocols. We also talked about the importance of getting off to a really good start, understanding that Look, a 56-game schedule might not be in the cards and how you know winning these games, especially against Detroit right in front of you, is really important. And let's bring in a guy who played a number of years in the National Hockey League, analyst as well, our good friend Bobby the Chief Taylor. Chief, it's great to be with you. And let me just ask you right out of the gate, what do you make of a lot of these cancellations, where the league is right now, and do you still feel like 56 games is attainable? Um, you know, I, I think so. Uh, for me, it's 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 a lot of it is just um, maybe more cautious than anything. You know, I I mean, I was reading what uh, Bettman kind of um, said today about the fact that it's not necessarily that they tested positive for for the for the COVID back, uh, disease or you know virus, but you know they might have been around somebody that did or near somebody or something like that to happen and. Uh, you know, I know they're doing a lot of things to really make sure it's very, very safe. But uh, I know, again, I have to reiterate, I know that they really, I, I'm sure they've never come out with this, but I know the league really wants to get this game, this le- the year in so they can uh, start those TV negotiations fresh again. So I, I, I'm sure that it'll it'll get done. 56 games, you know, it, the I'm wondering what's going to happen if they're going to just go by winning percentage. Then, if a guy, if teams can't get it, like I mean, what is it? Colorado and Minnesota now can't play any games until they finish through the eighth or ninth or something to that effect. And uh, which is only a couple days away. I think it's going to be a hard thing for them to uh, to really govern everybody. But how you're going to? The key for me is I'm stumbling around here like crazy, guys. I'm sorry about that, but. You know, it just sounds like, you know, it's going to be really hard for all the teams to get 56 games in. So they might have to come up with a formula. Like like if you played 50 and somehow you can do a a winning percentage type thing. I don't know. It it, it might be something like that or else this game is going to go all the way through to August. (laughs) Well, that's what they did last year. I mean, the teams, they expanded the field. So you got 24 teams instead of 16. So those other seven teams had no beef right, <laughs> about right, not exactly. being invited. But seeding was affected by the percentage because you might actually have more points than a team below you in the standings, but their winning percentage might have been higher and they got seeded ahead of you. And, I mean, look, 
where you're seated is where you're seated. You need to beat the team that, that you're matched up against. But we may we may have to see that this year. I'm a little bit more optimistic. Greg and I were going back and forth about this in the first segment. I'm a little bit more optimistic that the league will get, if not all, than most of the games in for these teams because they have – I think they've shown themselves to be pretty nimble at tweaking the schedule to this point. And if they need to expand the regular season by a week, I think that that would be their preference to try and get those games in. But we'll have to wait and see. Chief, I wanted to ask you, I've not actually had a chance to ask you this question yet. And we did a handful of games together from our studio when the team was on the road. As you were doing the majority of the road games with me this year when you're not working TV. Had you ever called a game as an analyst off a monitor and how did you find those first couple of games doing it off a monitor? No, Mitch, that this is the first time, uh, uh I've ever done anything off a monitor. Uh, I find it, see, and you know, you and I've kind of touched on this a lot and I know Phil and I talk about it a lot when we're not on the air, it, you know, so much of our game is play away from the puck for us to, anyway, to watch because it's so hard to, there's so much, uh, you know, a, a certain thing could happen, a zone or a zone and a half, maybe even two zones away from where the puck is that creates this break or creates this uh, possibility for a scoring chance or this defensive great player or whatever the case may be. And it's very hard to pick up on that. So if, you, if you're trying to really be a, in, an informative or, an, or a te- in a teaching mode, it's really hard to do that. In other words, you basically what you see is what you get. And uh, I think it's uh, for our game anyway, you know, it's, it moves so quickly that and so much of our uh, success and failure of, of, a, of a game is, is away from the puck rather than all around the puck. And, and I find that part really, really difficult when you're doing it from a monitor, but also too, you know, I, I think too, when you're, you're not getting the real feel for the game, this game is a game I know it sounds crazy to me. I, you know, it's so much more exciting when you're live. I mean, even when we're at the games, you know, the home games, which is nice. You can see it. I mean, there's hardly anybody, there's nobody in the building, but the game is more exciting watching it live when you're seeing all this rather than when you're sitting it on TV and that, um, the only thing that's really good about doing it from a monitor is you can yell and scream at the TV and you, the only buddy here is you, Mish <laughs> and Steve. So I could tell you anything I want that doesn't go out over the air. <laughs> Bobby, the Chief Taylor, joins us here on Power Lunch on Lightning Power Play. Chief, what makes this 11-7 and lineup so dangerous? Is it what the back end is doing with having seven guys back there playing at a pretty high level? That's part of it, uh, Greg. But what I like about it is that you can put your best players with different combinations. So, you know, it makes it a hard matchup for visiting coaches. You know, I mean, when you've got a, a team that can score like this team, and, you know, you want to make sure that you don't, you know, you've got so many weapons. What you want to do is you want to try and take away, you know, the machine gun for the team and make sure that they use a single shot rifle if they're going to beat you. So, in other words, you want to make sure that, you know, you can check Stamkos can point and Palat, you know, and then if, and let's limit their opportunities to beat you and let somebody else step up and beat you. And I think that's where with that extra... Uh, defenseman gives you one less forward, so now you can play a point. And we've seen it a couple of times last game where against Detroit, where where point was with a maroon, you know, and a and a um, Joseph, uh, you know, or vice versa. You know, I mean, you can you can get those guys. You can get a Stamkos there. You can get a, a Palat there. You can get a Sorelli there. A Clorin. I mean, you can shift around there. So, and and sometimes that can really change a look or a feel for a game from the defensive aspect, you know, they're not sure, well, wait a minute, because you're programmed as a player. Like, okay, if your job before the game and your game plan is to say, okay, I'm going to go up against this, uh, the point line as much as possible. As soon as you see one guy change, you're programmed to get off the ice so that somebody can get out there that's supposed to be covering that guy. So it creates a little bit of a problem that way for the visiting coach. Um, when you're at home, it's a little easier for them to match lines. But when you're in Amelie, it's very, very difficult to do that when you have that ability as a home coach to change the uh, combinations around. We saw on Wednesday, Chief, Calvin Pickard come in replacing 
Thomas Grice in that game, and, and Pickard had not played since before the pause last year. Curtis McElhinney is going to be getting a start here soon. If it's not tonight, it'll be one of the games early next week in the back-to-back against Nashville. I thought Pickard actually played pretty well, and hopefully McElhinney will will respond just as well. How tough is it, though, for a goalie to get back in a game after not having played in what we'll call a real game for 10, 11, 12 months? Because McElhinney's been in some of the scrimmages and has had practice, but that's that is different than being in an actual game. Yeah, that, you're right about that, Mitch. One of the things that's hard, I mean, the mental pressure that you put on yourself as a goalie is, is probably more greater than it does, you know, than anything else from your teammates and all that. And, you know, in, you can work as hard. And, and one thing that the Lightning have going for him is McElhaney's been around the block a few times. So, you know, he's been able to adjust that because he's gone stretches where he hasn't played for uh, two and a half weeks. You know, and that, uh, but this is a longer period of time. It's the mental approach to the game, you know, and how how you can manage your your nerves and uh, your adrenaline uh, when you're out there playing. Because uh, you know, in this game, and you've always heard you guys have heard me say this about this, you have to be a more patient player as a goalie than you do in any other position because you got to let the play come to you. You have to find the puck before you move. You got to wait for this to happen before you move. Because if you're scrambling around back there, you're, you're you're leaving too many holes open, and you're not sure where it is. So that's the main thing is is really kind of taking a a hold of your emotions and and, and the adrenaline of just getting back out there and playing the game to make sure that you're you try to stay as calm as possible. And uh, I think that's going to be a, a biggest problem. Um, I agree with you. I thought Picker played pretty well, but though you, when you take a look at the goals that Grice let in, oh my goodness! I mean. Um, McDonald's was off the post. Uh, Hedman's was high up, you know, just under the bar. You know, Sorelli, um, it was a you know, crazy rebound that came right out. He had an open net to shoot at. You know, I felt bad for him because it wasn't like he let a bad goal in. It's just that those guys were so accurate. And, of course, with three goals and five shots. And a lot of times when that happens, the coaches will pull a goalie, you know, to save him uh, embarrassment or else also to change the thought process with your team to get them to be a little bit more diligent in their own end because, wait a minute, we got a guy coming in now that hasn't played for a while, also didn't get a whole good warm-up in it. We have to really protect them. So that kind of brought them back down to earth a little bit, and they were a little bit better in their own end after they made that switch. So, you know, a lot of combinations, everybody keeps thinking when a goalie gets pulled that they're, that he was the bad guy, and sometimes that's not the case. Chief, for obvious reasons, we're not going to get a chance to see all the teams this year, but is there a better one-two punch on the back end than Victor Hedman and Ryan McDonough right now, in your opinion? No, I don't know. I, you know, I mean, you know who's got a really good – there's two teams in my mind that really, for me, let stand out on, on, on defense with Young. You know, Colorado with that, you know, McCarr back there, now he's really added a lot up to them. And then, of course – uh, for me, um, I think Columbus has a really good back end with Wierenski and Jones. And, you know, but the thing of it is, what, what's really good for us is that Victor and Ryan McDonough are, all, are very, very good off, uh, defensively, but have kicked in offensively too. I think McDonough has shown his offensive abilities better this year, and I think even in the uh, bubble than he has throughout his whole career. And uh, that's what makes them so much uh, better, or just that little niche above everybody else. Some of them are really good offensively, or some of them are, are okay defensively, or some are okay offensively and really good defensively, as in Columbus's case with Wierenski and Jones. But I, I think they're the full package, and there's not too many uh, teams that can boast two guys like that. Do you expect we're going to see pushback from Detroit tonight? after losing on Wednesday? Oh, I think so. I mean, this is a team that really struggles to finish. Uh, you know, I, that that's the only thing problem for them. And you know what? Even when they were down there, guys, they I thought they worked really hard in that game. You know, they, you know, Lightning uh, kind of, when they opened up that three-goal lead, they kind of sat back a little bit and allowed Detroit to get back into it. But then, you know, the Lightning played such a, to me, it was their best defensive game as well. I mean, what did they get? Sixteen shots, eighteen shots, something like yeah, that. The 16. Whole game, and that's what we saw in the in the bubble. We saw teams have about nine or ten shots for a while. Even Dallas. I mean, there were a couple of games there for two periods. They they 
Dallas only got like six shots total. So this is where they're starting to get back into that mode again, where, okay, yeah, we got the offense to go, and they can score anytime they want, basically, but we want to make sure that we don't give them as much uh, to, get, to get excited about if they start scoring. Chief, one of the things we saw with the NHL making four changes to in-arena COVID protocols was when players can get to the arena. We know, Chief, as you were one of those players, hockey players are very uh, regimented, superstitious, so to speak. They, they're creatures of habit. The player's schedule, or is that something from the outside looking in, we're overblowing? No, you know, you're right. They are like that. You know, I mean... Gosh, you know, the guy that really blew my mind, Bobby Orr used to, like, if the game was at 7.30, Bobby Orr was there by 2, or 2.30 in the afternoon. I don't know how, wow, what you do all that time. But anyway, he was there a lot <laughs> earlier than anybody I've ever heard about. But, yeah, they get in there because you want to relax. I think you want to get your mindset more. It's more of a mental preparation in a sense. I mean, it's a lot easier to start to get into a game mode when you're sitting in the locker room and you're working on your sticks or getting your skate sharpened or whatever you're doing in there than it is when you're sitting in a hotel room or you're sitting in at home waiting for that to happen to get down there. So you, you, you kind of, it's, it's more of a relaxing and also much more of a mental preparation if you can stay to that routine. So I think an hour and 45 minutes is, is, is a decent amount of time. But, you know, for those guys that really like that two to three hours when they're down there beforehand, that, that could be an adjustment for them. Last one from me, Chief. I asked you about McElhinney. Now I'll ask you about Vasilevsky. What have you seen from him so far this year? Well, you know, I, I thought that one game in, against Columbus, the, the Lightning lost, I don't think Vasilevsky was very good. He was really struggling to find the puck. But other than that, uh, he's been really good. And and the game against Detroit was a very difficult game for him to play because he went long stretches where he didn't get any shots whatsoever. But then he would get these really good scoring opportunities, you know, and, and uh, he was really, really good that way. And and that, that's one of the things that I've watched him grow as a goalie is, is, I mean, he's got tremendous reflexes, you know, and he's got a great work ethic and all that. But for me, his concentration level and able to keep his concentration when he's not getting a whole lot of work has really improved. And he's really getting good at that. And that's, that's really hard. If you're, you know, your mind tends to wander. And, uh, you know, I think that if you can really stay focused, which he's done a really good job of. So that game against Detroit there when – Things were getting a little out of hand, and then they, then they'd have a spurge of about three or four chances, and he was really good at that. And that, that I think that's the biggest thing for me about Vassy this year is that he's even better at keeping his concentration level high than he has in the past. Chief, last question: Are you surprised at Tampa Bay's record and how well they've played so far early in the season without Cooch? And what do you make of their division eight? 12 games in for some teams who have already played that many. Yeah, I, you know what? I, I, the, I think what helps them to, to get their level of play up because the turnaround isn't, hasn't been as long as it has before. And it had, you had such a limited time to, to party with the cup in a sense. You know, you couldn't take it to your hometown. You couldn't take it anywhere else. But uh, on, the, on the river or, in the, you know, in, the, in, in Tampa. And that kind of helped you a little bit. But, um you know, I I think a lot of teams. When when you one of the things that's sad about it or got me a little concerned about it is that the Lightning are going to have a lot of games bunched together, and how they weather that. You know, and and we've heard the coaching staff talk about it, and they're right. You know, um, the travel is 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 not as going to be as as acute as it was when you have the whole league because you're only staying in your division, so the traveling is cut a little bit, even though we. We do have a couple of out-of-time out of zone teams that you have to play. But the thing for me is that, you know, you're playing every second game. You know, for a goalie, that's great. But for a forward, sometimes it's not because you can get into bad habits and you don't. the only time you get a chance to really address that is the morning skate. And uh, that that's going to be something that will be really interesting to see as this uh, schedule unfolds. Chief, great job as always. Enjoy talking hockey with you. We'll see you at the rink soon. Thanks, you Chief. got it, guys. All right, that is Bobby the Chief Taylor joining us here on the broadcast. If you want to react to anything Chief had to say, you can 
at Greg Linelli. Dave and I will come back and uh, we'll get back into getting off to a good start and winning these games in front of you with the schedule being a, a little uncertain as well. Dave has some thoughts on that. Also, too, what do you make of the NHL and the changes they've made to in-arena COVID protocols? We can uh, get into that a little bit later on as well. And also the division. It's turning out to be a pretty competitive division. Tampa Bay, though, in first place with 13 points, even though they've played four less games than Columbus, who's also in second place or first place, I'd say 13 points through 12 games. He's Dave Michigan. I am Greg Linelli. Steve Ersnick is producing back after this on Lightning Power Play. This is Power Lunch, exclusively on Lightning Power Play on the iHeartRadio app. Thanks to Bobby the Chief Taylor, who joined us in that previous segment. Hit us up on Twitter, at Bolts Radio. Greg Linelli, Dave Michigan with you. We're getting you set for Lightning at Red Wings tonight at Amelie. Festivities start on Lightning Power Play at 6 o'clock with the pregame skate show. Kaylee Chelios and Brian Burns. And then I'll have the network pregame at 6.30. And, of course, Dave and the Hall of Famer, Phil Esposito, have the game call. And then afterwards, we do the last call. Brian Engblom and I, so make sure if you want to talk about how well Tampa Bay looked or anything else, you can certainly talk to us post-game, and we would appreciate that. All right, Dave, so we talked about at the beginning of the show the importance of getting off to a good start for obvious reasons, but I think even more so now with, A, the schedule uncertainties, and I think, B, the way the schedule or the division is playing out being so competitive. Where do you stand on that thinking even though you're a little bit more optimistic that they're going to get 56 games in, the importance of winning these games that are on the schedule right away. Yeah, it's important. I mean, whether you feel you're going to get 56 in or it's going to be 50, uh, the fact remains you want to get off to a good start because the season will be shorter. So not only is the season shorter, 56 games, you also are playing only within your division. And there's no wild card. So that means that your division is its own entity. You know, in past years, Greg, you might be in, let's say, in the east of the two divisions. Maybe one division is relative to the other deeper and stronger. You could finish in fifth in your division and still get in the playoffs as a wild card team. This year, fifth is not good enough. You need to be in the top four. So those are the changes, and, and what, do we, what do we make of that? How are we supposed to kind of think about it and process it? Well, as you know, you know, there's this fairly common mode of thinking in a normal season that if you can get 12 points out of every 10 games, you're pretty much guaranteed of getting in the playoffs. That'll get you to 96 points after 80 games. If you're a little bit short, you have games 81 and 82 to maybe get you to 96. Almost without fail, 96 has proven to be good enough. But what does that mean for 56? It's a shorter season. And the reality is that, like to your point, you're looking at the standings now and the, it's bunched up. Like a team might be able to get 12 points in 10 games in one segment, maybe even in two. It's hard to do it over eight, which is why if you can do it over eight, you're probably going to get into the playoffs. Well, what about five and a half? Is that is that really difficult? Or, I mean, it's not going to be as difficult as doing it for eight. It's harder than doing it for one. But how many teams are going to be able to hit that metric? We don't know. You know, if you do the math, it's about 66 points then. 66 points at that pace would be after 55 games. So we'll throw in the extra game. I don't know. I don't know if 66 is going to be enough. We may see a division where you have five or six teams at 66 points. And also, every overtime game is a divisional overtime game. So if your division has an outsized number of overtime games, which could happen, then that's going to push everyone's point total up. Yep. So maybe maybe 66 is not going to be enough in, in a division with lots of overtime games. But it's going to be more than enough in a division relative to other divisions that doesn't have as many overtime games. So I think that's what's set up here with this unique format. And I think we're just going to have to see it play out to, to determine kind of what that magic point number is. 
but you do control your own destiny. So the Lightning have gone six, one, and one. They already have 12 points, 13 actually, in this first segment. They have two games left. Yeah. I don't know if that pace is going to be good enough, but I'd rather be at or ahead of that pace than not in, in this shortened season. And more importantly, Dave, they've got five regulation wins. Yep. Which is, I mean, again, you're That's not getting affecting that... their opponents. Yeah. Yes, you're not. You're not giving up an extra point. Those three point games aren't an issue right now. And look, I, you want to win first and foremost. We understand that, but there is greater emphasis on, I think, not only winning early in the season, because teams didn't have the extent extended training camp and. Sometimes teams come out of the gates slower. You really can't afford that opportunity now. So if you can get off to a quick start, you avoid falling back in the standings. But it also, if you can win those games in regulation, you're not giving the opponent you're playing an opportunity to chip away at your lead, so to speak. And I think, you know, the Lightning have an 813 win percentage. But again, for me, the most impressive thing there is the five regulation wins. Nobody in the division has that. The Blue Jackets have four, but they've played 12 games. You know, Lightning have only played eight. Yeah. And I, I think we have to keep that in mind. So when we start talking about getting off to quick starts, I think there are a number of ways to look at that. One is obviously you want to play well. Two, you want to rack up as many points as possible. But I think number three is if you can win those in regulation. And I think the Lightning have done a really good job of doing that. And, you know, as it's looking right now, Dave, I mean, the division is – as competitive as we've seen. I mean, you just saw Chicago, what, beat Carolina. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, Chicago's you know, been good at home this year, which, yeah. you know, it's funny that home makes a difference. I mean, the Lightning are undefeated at home, and they're 1-1-1 and on the road. But it has made a difference for the Hawks. They've been a really effective team at getting points when they've played at home. They have, and what's interesting, too, we talked about Florida and their schedule. They had a tough loss uh, in overtime. But they got a the point. Preds. They did get a point. Gonna, that's a that's a tough they pill blew. to swallow because yeah, they, were they five, blew three two sixth attacker goals. Yeah, with two Nashville is really good at the sixth attacker. Well, they are, and, <laughs> and then they scored against the Lightning and almost rallied from two down in that uh, in that first meeting. They were three down, but it was yeah. four two. They pulled the goalie. They scored once, and then Duchesne hit the post. I mean, the way you can almost look at this division, and we'll see how it plays out. I mean, I think a lot of people feel comfortable Tampa Bay is going to be one of the top four teams. Dallas, you know, I think a lot of people like their team, and we saw what they did last year, and they've only played eight games as well. They've got 11 points through eight games. I mean, I think a lot of people look at Dallas and Nashville as teams that are potentially playoff teams, and then you're basically battling for one spot. If you think my prediction is true, and a lot of people would say it's Carolina because of their depth and their speed and what we've seen from them. But, you know, then Peter Morazic goes out with an injury. Yeah. And so you're asking the That's question a big there. One. How? Yeah. I mean, you know, look, um, do I look at Carolina's goaltending situation similar to like the Islanders over the years where maybe there's not a true number one, but, you know, guys are able to compete pretty hard and, and give you a chance to win every night regardless of who's in net a little bit. But I, I think that is a question mark because you can't afford your goaltending in this environment to go into a slump. So while I think Carolina is a playoff team, and I really like their team, I think we both do, that is a huge question mark for them because, I mean, you're sitting there and you know Columbus, they make a trade and we know Torts' teams always play tough and you know they get pretty good goaltending and... The Panthers, while their schedule may have allowed them to get off to this decent start, you still got to win those games, and you still have to compete. And, you know, they've got that Carter Verhage thing going on, and he's he's picking up points. And I, it's not a slam dunk who the top four teams are going to be. And I think a lot of people, Dave, probably looked at that before the beginning of the year and, and probably could go one through four who that would be. But as they say, that's why they play the games. And the Lightning... As as tempting as it is, and and we do it, you know, we check the out of town scores at least in the division, and and keep track of the standings. Really, the Lightning just have to worry about what's in front of them, and what's in front of them is another game against Detroit, which we talked about on Wednesday or after Wednesday. They took care of business. 
they don't want to give points away to the Red Wings. And after that, the Lightning play seven of their next eight on the road. And I know it's, it is different. And a lot of these places around the league still are not having fans. But you're still away. You're still quarantining basically in the hotel. And the Lightning have shown that, you know, it's not like they're winning every game on the road. Their worst game of the year came on the road this year, the Columbus game. And while they played better than that in the Carolina road game, that was not a a stellar defensive performance by the Lightning in terms of the number of scoring chances they allowed. So, you know, let's see if they can take care of business tonight. And then they have the challenge in front of them with playing. I mean, it's going to happen. You know, Detroit's on a six-game road trip now. When you're playing these two-game sets – you're usually having road trips of of four games or more. And the Lightning have a stretch of a lot of road games coming up here. So we'll see how they they manage that. I think that is probably more important than trying to have your finger on the pulse of the rest of the division if you are a Lightning coach or player. We are neither. So (laughs) we can pontificate (laughs) about this as much as we want. Right. And and my takeaway at this point in these – you know, early weeks of the season is, I don't know. I don't know kind of what that cut line is going to look like either in the central division or in any other division. It may vary from division to division. If you have a division where the top teams beat up on everybody, by top teams, I'd I'd say like two or three, then, you know, probably your point total is going to be lower between four and five. But if you have real sustained competition from, if not top to bottom, maybe one through seven or in the Canadian division, one through six, then that point total is going to go up where the cut line is. That is correct. And it'll be interesting to see how this continues to play out. A couple of questions coming in. This one from Phil. He was listening to the NHL yesterday and he said the mention they mentioned the Bolts have played eight games with 12 different goal scorers. He goes, is it me or is that crazy? I don't think it's crazy. I think no, it and the really depth, that's right? the lightning like that. I mean, they want to have balanced scoring. The defense is producing. Although I think of, of that number three are defensemen, right? So you got headmen, obviously McDonough scored last game and Cal foot. I think those are the three that have, that have scored, but at the forward position, it's been it's been a really balanced attack. There's no doubt. Elio says, guys, why not require the players to wear clear face shields just for this season? Wouldn't that help? I'm assuming he's meaning about COVID protocols and right, and they have the half shield. shield, but to cover yeah. to cover the mouth. I'm sure they've looked at that. I mean, that is. That that's is a big ask, of, I think. Yeah, that, that's, that's way out of my wheelhouse as far as what that would mean. I do know that when we're talking about being out in public or, you know, and you see some some medical professionals have the shield on, but they're also wearing a mask. So I don't think the shield is a substitute. Not when you're competing in, a, <laughs> in an athletic event. Excluding that, the mask can, or I'm sorry, the shield can supplement the mask, but it's not a substitute for the mask. So I don't know how valuable that would be. You know, I've, I've gotten a lot of people that have come up, Dave, and asked me, you know, Greg, why don't they take out fighting? Uh, some for obvious reasons that, you know, if they're trying to cut down on headshots, why would you allow fighting? The other is just with the COVID situation, you know, fighting seems like <laughs> it's counterproductive, to which I, I came back to the point I made to you is that, look, if you're going to allow these guys to play this season, does right. it? Is that going to ma- is that going to matter? Yeah. It's not. I mean, I, I think I think we have to be smart about this and understand that um, they're trying to get these games in, and it's not going to be perfect. I'm actually surprised, Dave. And again, I think this would be a huge ask for the players that some company out there, because we see, I think, through COVID, a lot of innovation with how yes. people have gone about their daily lives and even to keep businesses running or to be profitable in a time when unemployment is pretty high because of small businesses having been shut down. I'm surprised the company hasn't come out with masks that are suitable for playing 
um, you know, for, for sporting events, like for, for ice hockey, so to speak. And while I think, again, creature of habits, it's a big ask. I'm surprised we haven't seen it. Maybe they just haven't been able to develop it, and maybe that's the case. But I, I'm surprised with all the innovation out there that they haven't at least explored it. You know, sometimes they do that at the AHL level before they, they pop it up at the NHL level with how things are, are playing out, that somebody hasn't come up with an invention that would allow players to wear a mask, but at the same time it doesn't prohibit them uh, from really breathing hard or becomes an issue. And, you know, maybe that's down the road and let's hope that this time next year, we're not worrying about that. But I'm, you know, you start thinking about these things. We just start talking about protocols yeah. in place and changes they're making to the arena. Well, and look, the, the full face shield question is a good one. I mean, they yeah. could do that. I don't know if they've done the research and they feel that it wouldn't really make a substantial difference. The other part, too, which is unrelated to COVID, but if you give a player a full face shield... The question always becomes, how much chippier is the game going to become? That's kind of one of the arguments about, you know, college hockey, where they have very stiff penalties in college hockey if you get into a fight or, I mean, you are, you are severely discouraged from doing anything with your stick at the college hockey level. Right. But if you wear a full face shield, then you are taking fighting out of the game. And... I think there is there is a sentiment, I don't know if this is completely accurate or not, but there is a sentiment that that would embolden players to become even more chippy and use their sticks in a potentially dangerous way. You become more fearless if your face is completely protected, basically. That's I don't think that like, had anything to do yeah. with the, the COVID protocol potential reduction of transmission i'm just saying like that is yeah that is that is something that has been talked about some for years that. in the sport of hockey and players may not want to players don't like wearing shields yeah, some players no, some players if they could would wear no shield and for you sure. know there are some are there any still grandfathered in at this point I, i'm not sure if there chara. are chara doesn't chara okay yeah but, you know, now you have to wear a half shield. But I think you would get some pushback from from players in terms of, look, if the league says this is the way it has to be, then that then that's it. But if you gave players a choice, I think most would say, no, I don't want the shield. Uh, I, I The full shield. I, sure. want, I want what we currently have. And to that end, and look, I don't know if somebody is able to patent what you just talked about, Greg, but it seems like you're – you're asking the mask to do two things that run contrary to each other, having it be breathable. So if you are expending a lot of energy, mm -hmm. you need to be able to breathe comfortably because that would be the concern with putting a mask on, right, when you're skating up and down the ice. But if you have breathability, then, you know, how much are you transmitting potentially a virus? So I don't have the answer. I'm just saying, like, that's what came to mind to me, like it would be great to have a mask that athletes could use and they could breathe comfortably. But if you're breathing comfortably, then you know you are. The mask is breathable, which is not supposed to be the most effective type of mask. Dave, I'm not an expert, but I did say it at Motel Six. Yes, and you will learn that. Keep working on that patent. Keep. I, I want to see I it. I want to see it perfected. You will, and have you get all the credit. Well, because that's what it's all about, Dave, me getting all of the <laughs> yes. credit out there. All right, Dave, we'll catch you down at the arena. Thank you, sir. Thanks to Bobby the Chief Taylor. Thanks to Steve Erstick. And thanks to you for really listening to this show. We love it, and we can't do it without you, and we appreciate the support. We'll be with you tonight starting at 6 with Brian Burns and Kaylee Chelios, and we'll have the game at 7 o'clock. And you can listen to it all right here on Lightning Power Play.